What's happening, everyone? Welcome back to another segment podcast. This one's a little bit different. This is going to be a little bit of a talk and climb. I was actually climbing up to my favorite uh, trail, local trail here, and thought I'd film a podcast as I'm doing the climb. This episode is being powered by the Bole Brands. Bole Brands, that includes Serengeti, Bole, and Spy Optic. In fact, um, I'll be running these new foundation goggles and just did a giveaway for foundation goggles here. Thank you to spyoptic.com on that. Um, but I love them because they are they have the uh, anti-fog technology built into them and they're just super comfy goggles. So take a look at the foundation goggles at spyoptic.com and special thanks to the sponsor, the Bole Brands. This episode is also being powered by 7IDP Mountain Bike Protective Gear, 7IDP Intelligent Design Protection. Always good to have protection when you need it because it's better to have it and not need it than to need it and not have it. Check them out at 7protection.com and see if there is any kind of gear that you may need for this upcoming season. They've got an array of protective equipment from full face helmets, half helmets, all the way down to protection down to your ankles. Um, again, check them out at 7protection.com and see if there's anything there that'll suit your needs. All right, guys, getting into the raw Talk and Climb podcast. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, here we go, guys. We are recording. I believe we're still recording. Yep. Testing one, two, three. Hope this sounds good. Testing one, two, three. All right, here we go. All right, guys, today is December 9th, 2020. Hope everyone's having a great day. I'm in my garage, actually getting the bike down off the wall right now. I'm going to head over to my favorite trailhead, which is my driveway. (laughs) So walking out to the driveway. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. I figured I'd do like a, just a talk and climb going up to uh, Slaughterhouse from the driveway here and uh, got a little bit of a climb so I thought I'd take you guys with me. Um, a couple of things, just wanted to talk about gratitude today. Um, I started mountain biking in late March, early April of 2020 this year and on this particular ride that I'm doing right now with you guys, I will be hitting my 1,000th mile. That's right, the 1,000th mile. And uh, I'm just thinking back on all of the different miles that I put in to get to this point. Good morning. And uh, how far, literally how far I've come (laughs) uh, via the bike, skill set, people that I've met, lessons that I'm learning, things to be thankful for, obviously the YouTube channel, all of you guys who tune in, uh, the podcast, all the different guests that I've had and and will have in the future, just feeling very grateful for all of that. Um, As I go along here, before I, I left, I was at 999 miles. And so the 1,000th mile is going to be here with you guys here on this recording. Um, There's not going to be any balloons, any confetti, uh, (laughs) none of that stuff. But in my mind, I just thought it'd be awesome to have you guys with me. Um, 
just gonna talk as we go. Hopefully you're listening to this and you're on your way to a ride somewhere or just got back from a ride or heck, maybe you're at work thinking about what your next ride is. Um, But know this, you know, right now with everything being locked down and the pandemic really just blasting off right now, we're we're all in this together. in fact, I'm going to share this with you guys. Over the weekend, my wife was exposed to somebody who later on confirmed positive for COVID. And uh, we're pretty diligent about being safe and masking up, washing hands. But you just never know when it comes to these things. And... Uh, One minute someone feels fine, and the next minute they come down with symptoms. So anyhow, on uh, the weekend she was exposed to somebody who later on came down with symptoms, tested positive for COVID. And uh, my wife and I went ahead and got tests done ourselves. And as we speak right now, we're just awaiting the results to see. Uh, it's been a couple days since the weekend. Today is Wednesday. The exposure was on Saturday. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We four days into possibly having it, if we do. Um, I'm feeling great, feeling fine. So is my wife. Teeny bit of a headache um, for both of us. A little bit of fatigue for both of us, but that could be life with kids <laughs> and work and and everything else. So um, the mentality mentality around that right now is just staying in the present, not letting it get too carried away in the brain, and uh, just taking taking it one pedal at a time. Trying to uh, just see how we do, see how we feel, and then take the necessary steps from there. For example, today I wanted to be on a ride with um, Pacific Yeti, aka Joey Yates. He's over at Greer for an early morning ride. I wanted to ride with him. He actually is the one that got me uh, in tune with Ernie from Transcend MTB. And I really wanted to go on a ride with him and tell him thank you for bridging that. Because that was a really enlightening podcast to hear what Ernie had gone through. And it was because of Joey who had the insight to see there was a powerful story there and get in contact with me. That's how we were all able to hear Ernie's story. So thank you, Joey. But trying to do the right thing and distance myself right now, just in case I got this darn thing. I would hate to give it to anybody. Specifically, I would hate to think that it made it over to somebody who was you know, elderly or 
had comorbidities that could take them down because that's definitely what I'm not about. So, sucks. Wish I could be out there at Greer with you, Joey. That would've been awesome. Um, might be getting close to a thousand. I'm not gonna look. I'm just gonna act like we're all in it here together. <laughs> and this is actually kind of strange. I'm used to doing the podcast live where I have interaction with you guys. So I feel like I'm just rattling on. Um, but hopefully some of these words help out in a way. Uh, one of the things I learned early on is uh, to bring value to people. It's always to find out what their needs are and find out what that need is, understand that need, expand it by <clears throat> talking around it, talking at it, and getting into it, and then offering some kind of a solution to that need specifically will always bring value. Right now, I think a need that we all have in common is hope. Uh, hope for a better tomorrow. Hope for our fellow Americans. Hope for the country. And I know that things are really divided, but hopefully not for long. See what I did there? Hopefully not for long. Uh, we'll see as we go along. Good morning. And, uh, and I'm not saying that I'm a particular side one way or the other politically. I just hope that moving forward there's some kind of a unity. And it definitely starts with us. Each of us can, if we feel divided, we could try to soften up that edge a little bit and um, live in a democracy. Here's an analogy. <laughs> the trail is a lot like a democracy. It doesn't care what bike you ride, what skill set you have, how much experience you have under your belt, what kind of tire pressure you are running, what kind of system you have, the bike build out, it doesn't care. It's just there to provide you a great experience. And sure, there are all kinds of lines in that trail from hard to easy, but everybody, mostly everybody, could ride those trails at their own skill set and level and enjoy it. And the trail's always there. And the trail is what you make of it, right? Just like our country. It's there. We can make it the most badass trail, the most badass country. But it doesn't do it on its own. Without us, it just sits there. Without us, nothing happens. It's up to us to get there and make it happen. So that's my analogy on the trail. Every single person from every single religious background, color, gender, race can get on that trail and make it, make it, it's, make it what it is, uh, just like our country. The better we care for the trail, the better we ride the trail and ride it together, the better the trail is. So anyway, just a thought that I had 
as I'm heading up here to Slaughterhouse. It's, uh, it doesn't care who I am. It doesn't care that I have a podcast. It doesn't care. It's just there to be what I make it to be. Today, it's going to be my 1,000-miler ride. All right, guys, starting the uphill climb. <laughs> it kind of sounded like I was already going uphill, didn't it? There was a sl- small uphill from my neighborhood to get to a flat. Now I'm going back uphill. Um, so gratitude. Let's go over to gratitude. <sighs> gratitude is always something you can find in anything that it is. For example, you're in your car right now listening to this podcast who knows how you got that car, right? It may not be your dream car. Maybe it is your dream car. But you're in a car. And you're using that vehicle to go somewhere. You've got two arms, two legs, a brain. You're driving that vehicle. That's your car. Be thankful for that. To even break it down further, the two arms and two legs. Have you guys seen a guy by the name of Nicholas? He's on IG. Um, he's got one arm, no legs, and he is one of the most motivating people I've ever heard. And his whole thing is about mindset. I'll have to get you his full name here. Maybe I'll pin it in the uh, in the link. But Nicholas, check him out. He's on my IG, and you can go over there and see it. I actually, sent a invitation to see if he would be up for coming on the segment podcast he is uh getting up there close to a million followers so he's got a full organization i'm not sure if he'd come on but it's always worth to ask for something good right worst thing he says is no or never gets back to me no big deal but if he says yes the information, inspiration, motivation he could provide to somebody who really needs to hear it can literally be life-changing. So, what the hell? Why not ask? Right? It's not... In a way, it's not... It's not me. It's not the podcast. It's just a bridge for somebody who needs to hear something positive to happen. It's going to be a little loud here, guys, for just a few minutes. I got to go up Clinton Keith to the uh, trail itself, but I don't go all the way up now. I actually go up Slaughterhouse and I come down it just for fear of people texting. (laughs) So gratitude is everything that you make it to be. You could find anything and be grateful for it. Anything at all. The car example I use is just because I thinking of cars because I'm right here by a bunch of cars. (laughs) But it could be anything. Literally, your breath. People are, unfortunately, passing away because of this virus, and it's attacking their lungs. And you and I right now have unlimited, unlimited breaths. How amazing is that? So, always something to be thankful for. All right, guys, dropping in right here to the entry and exit of Slaughterhouse. Uh, Hopefully there's no animals up in here. Always fun when you're riding solo, right? (laughs) Wanted to say also on the whole gratitude 
is that it's definitely a mindset. It's something that can take a lot of work. We've been sort of trained in a way to look for the bad. And that's not always a terrible thing as thinking about certain bad things helps out with survival. And survival is one of the most important things, right? So, but having a healthy balance and relationship with that is important because too much bad, too much negative, and not enough good can completely send you into depression, anxiety, uh, spent relationships, all kinds of things. So, just a small dose is good. The good news is we're already built for it. And the media really helps push that along. Bad news sells, unfortunately. People like to see crashes, unfortunately. Um, So, not too much of that. If you find yourself watching the news too much, man, turn it off. Turn it off. And uh, start practicing like Sarah, like Sonia Looney. Sonia Looney said in the latest podcast on the segment, practice gratitude. Find things that you're grateful for and start your day off with that. Because then, soon, that'll become a skill set, a muscle. You'll start seeing things in a different way. You'll start noticing things in a different way. And if we are going to live on this planet, wouldn't you rather live and spend your time here seeing the good things and being a little more fulfilled, having more enrichment in your life? Why not? It doesn't cost you anything monetarily. It just is a different way to look at things. And it's something you can control. You can start it right now. Right now, I'm trying to talk and climb. And I'm not thinking about how much my legs feel tired, how much my lungs need air. I'm thinking about somewhere in here, I got a thousand miles on the bike. And somewhere out there, You guys are listening to this on your way to your ride trail or at work. And somebody, somebody out there is hearing this. And for some reason, it's really making a big difference in their life. Didn't cost us a thing. One of the things that I practiced early on, and I'll definitely get into this story. I'll do a vlog about it, but just kind of the high-end side. In 2016, my uh, wife and son and I wanted to have another kiddo. Actually, probably 2014 and 15. Wanted my son to have a, a sibling. My wife and I felt we had room in our hearts for another kiddo. And so we tried and we tried and we tried and just could not get pregnant. Just couldn't do it. For whatever reason, 
it wasn't happening. But all around us, everybody was getting pregnant. And it always seems like when you want something, when it's on top of your mind, it's happening all around you. So in that case, people were getting pregnant in our community, in our friendship circles, family, but we couldn't. And that was hard because it was a long time. <laughs> it was hard in the sense that mentally you start wondering, are we too old now? Is there something wrong with us? For a female, my wife was wondering, was there something wrong with her? But in all actuality, what it ended up being is, I think we were so stressed out about having a times table. When our firstborn is this old, we want to have a second baby. We were so stuck to it and inflexible, it created stress. And that stress is most likely the reason why we couldn't get pregnant. And it only took a wiser person than us to eloquently let us know that in the olden days of the dinosaurs and saber-toothed tigers, it was hard for people to get pregnant when they're stressed. Because if there's danger lurking around and you're stressed, it is not a great place to have a baby. So, we ended up taking some time off of work. We ended up taking some vacations. We ended up not checking the clock in the calendar so much. And just rather said, all right, let's let go. Let's see what happens. Let's not try to control it so much. And voila, pregos. We're so excited. We were so besides ourselves. And my son was excited to have a little one, a little brother or sister. At the time we had no idea. So we got this little gem in the belly. Life is moving along. All the congrats are there. Feeling like a million bucks. Starting to plan out, you know, life with another one. Where are we gonna, at the time we lived in a two bedroom, one bath condo in Del Mar, California. It's a great spot, had ocean views, but how do you raise kids in a two bedroom, one bath condo? We could do it, but we started thinking we needed a yard. We also had two doggies, Miss Ollie and Miss Mackay. And I uh, thought, man, wouldn't it be a better life if we could make it happen to get to a bigger place? So we ended up buying a place, or we ended up selling our place. This uh, person in the Bay Area, here's a hike a bike section, guys, sorry. Person in the Bay Area, sight unseen, bought our condo in Del Mar for cash. I think they closed in like two weeks. Is insane. Our very first day of showing the condo, and uh, we didn't have a place to live. <laughs> we we're like, oh, hell, happened fast. We uh, luckily found a spot after looking and uh, actually asked the buyers if we could rent back the place if we needed to. But luckily, we found a place in Solana Beach, California, which was just up the road 
and uh, that place was awesome. Three bedroom, two bath, right there by the water. I could surf tabletops every day. Such a healing, beautiful place. As we are in this process with the pregnancy, I had to go to a medical conference in, in uh, Coronado Island. My wife came with me and uh, it was at that medical conference she felt strange. She felt that something was wrong. But before I go further into that, let me back up that a little bit. Um, we were pregnant, everything was going right. And we went to our, you know, when you first get pregnant, you have your OB appointments. And it wasn't until we were like, I think it was like four months in, our OB sent us to a place to get some pictures done. And the technician who did the ultrasound took the pictures and then left the room. And we're like, what the hell? That's weird. It was really quiet. And that's when you know something's up, right? They don't say much. You just know something's up. They came back with the doctor. And the doctor said, as we tried to greet them, the doctor said, can you please meet me in my office? I was thinking, what the hell? Of course we can. But why all the, why all the drama? <laughs> we got to the office. She sat us down. I'll never forget the look on her face. She said, congratulations, you have twins. My wife and I were flipping out. Holy crap, twins and their boys. Oh crap, two boys, twins. Twins do run in her family. So we're ecstatic. For years we couldn't even get pregnant and now we had twins in there. So stoked. But just as our heart rate was leveling up from the news, she delivered news that sunk our heart down into our throat. And that was that the boys were suffering from a condition called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, TTTS. Rare. Happens like one out of every, I don't know how many, hundreds of thousands. Doesn't happen very often, thank goodness. But basically the boy's umbilical cord was, both umbilical cords were fused together somehow and communicating to the placenta, but only one boy was getting all the nutrients and the other one wasn't getting as much. So they said, we need to do corrective surgery because by the time they found this out, the boys were already at a, I think a stage three out of four or, or four out of five. The point is they didn't catch it early on, which was crazy. And so we elected to have the surgery. We went up to Huntington Hospital up in Pasadena. There's a doctor out there who specializes in twin and twin transfusion syndrome. He did the surgery and I'll never forget, 
he said, you have a 50% shot of them surviving. You have a, another percentage shot of one of them surviving, which was higher. And if you don't do nothing, you'll lose them both. So we're in the surgery, already feeling guilty that we've sealed the fate from possibly one of them, but also feeling optimistic that we are saving one of them, or maybe even both of them. And I remember after the surgery, the doctor came out and he wasn't his chipper self. And he just, his eyes were red. And he said, hey, surgery went well. We uh, tried the best we could not to puncture the sack for the kiddos. There was a dividing wall in the mama's belly that keeps the two twins, that keeps the twins on separate sides. And puncturing that sack could cause an umbilical accident down the road. And he said that the surgery went well, but they accidentally punctured the sack. We knew that was a, a risk going into it because of the way everything was laid out anatomy-wise. It was the tough one, but both boys were alive at the end of the surgery. The next day, they came in to the hospital. I remember it was my wife's birthday and uh, we were so optimistic that'd be the best birthday present if we fixed it. And the doctor came in, had to get a sample and uh, left, which was weird. And they brought in the machine and the machine is the is the machine that they look into the belly and see what's happening. When they did that, they couldn't get a heart rate on one of the boys. And then they confirmed that uh, the bigger of the two boys, he had the most likelihood of surviving the surgery that he's the one that passed away. So he passed away at surgery. And uh, it was devastating. I remember, like I said, it was a birthday. And uh, I remember the silence of the room. I remember hearing the clock on the wall clicking the seconds away as they delivered the news. And when they did it, it was the whole healthcare team came into the room and they formed an arch around the bed and all of them were looking at us as the doctor delivered the news and I remember my wife crying and as a father and as a husband who's supposed to protect the family and you know provide I felt so helpless I felt like I couldn't do anything just hold her hand and try to comfort her but there wasn't anything that I could do to fix what just happened so in the same breath, I remember the bedside phone in our room going off and I remember the nurse answering it and that broke the silence. And I remember the nurse saying, let me see if he wants to talk to you. And I remember her looking at me saying, 
your insurance company is on the phone. And I thought, what a terrible time for my insurance company to call in the middle of this moment. And I thought it was something to do with money and bills and what kind of coverage and what they needed to pay for, what authorizations they needed. But when I picked up the phone, it was actually different. The insurance wanted to know if we were okay. And it ended up being the counseling line from the insurance, which I don't think I've ever heard of before. But they wanted to make sure we were okay, wanted to ask if they could reach out with the counselor and uh, offer us counseling, which in hindsight, looking back, that was one of the best things that could have ever happened to us. I remember telling the representative on the line, Aetna was the insurance guys. Um, I still have them today, Aetna PPO. I said, yes. They said, okay, we're, we don't know what you're going through, but we see that you're in the hospital. We hope everything's okay. And they hung up and uh, that comes back into play later on, but we ended up leaving there feeling so defeated. My wife to this day doesn't celebrate her birthday. The baby that passed away there, his name was Jude. Jude Hill. He, uh, we later on got to meet him, but uh, Jude was gone and we had to now think how we could think differently. Luckily, the counselor set up appointments for Abby to talk with her, high seek counseling, to reconcile and figure out how we were going to move forward. Feeling terrible for one, but feeling hopeful for the other. And the other boy, his name is Quentin. And Quentin was the smallest one, but man, that little dude, he, he was catching up. I think when they first measured him, he was at the, it was small, he was small, like seven percentile from where he should be. And uh, with his brother gone, he ended up taking in all the nutrients. I know Abby was like a fitness queen. She was getting out there, getting exercise and drinking all kinds of protein shakes, like anything we could think of to help out Quentin grow. And man, when you know it, within a couple months, Quentin, he caught up. He was looking strong. We had a uh, appointment at Children's Hospital, Rady's Children's. They were gonna check on him just to make sure everything looked good, cardiovascularly wise, just because of what had been going on. Went to Children's Hospital, got it all done. In fact, you know, all the beeps and lights and sounds of the hospital just kind of is a trigger now. So while we were in there, it was hard not to get anxious because the same machines that they looked at to look at uh, Quentin were the same machines they looked at to tell us that Jude passed away. So everything turned out great. Quentin Ellis Hill was freaking a rock star, man. He was perfectly great heart-wise. He was looking awesome. We were moving forward and we were not out of the woods, but the doctor said, you're definitely mostly out of the woods, but there's still a little bit of time to go. And we had to see a doctor pretty much every week just to make sure everything was good. So we had the right care, the best people in the world looking after Quentin. And fast back forward to 
my medical conference. I'm in Coronado and my wife is with us, with me. And I'm in my conferences. For those of you who don't know, I'm a pharmaceutical rep for a big pharma company. And uh, we were there to support the physicians that were getting education. Um, we do that by providing uh, monetary help so they can get CMEs and speakers and uh, to help you know educate the doctors on, on what it is that they need. Um, so we were there helping out with that. And my wife at the end of the day said, it's so weird. I always talk to little Quentin every night and he always kicks, kicks the belly, but he didn't do it tonight. And I thought it was weird, but you know, she's getting up there in pregnancy. And so he was sleeping and waking up at odd times. I didn't think much of it. The next day I'm at work Monday. She calls me and she says, I haven't felt Quentin at all last night or today anytime starting to get a little worried and for us because of the trauma with Jude it's easy for us to get triggered even with counseling so I said okay let's uh let's go and just have them find his heartbeat just so we know everything's okay so she calls the doctor's office they said yeah come on in you know we'll see the little sound thing on your belly not a problem they put the sound thing on they couldn't find anything which was strange just got a pretty much an all clear that this dude is strong and he was really kicking the belly <sighs> then we went over to sharp mary birch in the uh ward over there and they put uh they put the uh ultrasound on and uh, there he was, sleeping away, no heartbeat. Something happened and he was gone. And I remember getting the phone call that I needed to come over to Sharp Mary Birch because Quentin had passed. And it felt like a nightmare, like a dream. And uh, I remember racing over to the hospital and uh, one of my one of my teammates counterparts didn't know much what was going on just raced over there with me and met me there and gave me a big hug i got up to abby and she was beside herself and she was in this little room there with the curtains drawn and just crying away and again went back to that place where i could hear the clock ticking and uh it was dead silence other than the folks around us that were there getting good news for their babies. And here we were just been handed a devastating blow that our second child had just passed. Not only that, they had to deliver them. So we couldn't even go home and kind of wrap our heads around it. It was like, well, I'm sorry. They offered that we can go home, but they said we need to get the babies delivered. So we opted to just have the babies delivered. They induced Abby right away. And uh, she was in labor for pretty much the whole evening. We uh, spent the night there, of course. They got us in a room. And uh, it was about 5.30 in the morning. 
that uh, she delivered both Jude and Quentin, and uh, it was so silent. If anybody has been in the delivery room before and a baby is born, you know that there's a lot of medical staff in there. The lights are on. Um, she actually delivered, and she said, I think I delivered, because she was on the medication to kind of help push it out. And uh, I looked in the blanket, and there was the amniotic sac with the babies inside. So I you know, got to the nurse and the doctor. They came in, and they took the babies, and they got them out. And we said we wanted to meet them. So we got a chance to meet those boys. Um, they look perfectly fine when you look at them. Um, Jude was, <laughs> he, he was perfect. He had all the little fingers and toes and little nose and mouth and eyes. And he just looked like he was sleeping. He was warm and put a little hat on him. I got to hold him and talk to him. And uh, Quentin, since he had passed on earlier, I'm sorry, I got, I got it mixed up. It was uh, Quentin that we were holding. Jude since baby boy Jude passed away early on uh, they said that we shouldn't look at him but we can hold him so they put him in a little like baby blanket and we didn't get to actually see him but we got to hold him and feel him through the baby blanket and uh, one of the things that was interesting is your instincts kick in you almost forget that you're in this negative horrific place and you start thinking like fatherly like man I can't wait to throw you the ball I can't wait to you know show you what a wave looks like and I can't wait to see you grow you just forget and then reality sets in and those dreams are just slowly getting wiped away um, little did we know that Abby had a blood infection because of baby one and uh, she couldn't stop bleeding and she lost so much blood uh, but there was a company called Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. They're a nonprofit company, and they come in and they they could take pictures of you, so you could at least have the memory, the the video or the picture image of the babies before they have to take them away. And uh, they were on their way in, but Abby was on her way out. She was losing a ton of blood, and uh, she wanted to be there with the boys. But they had to rush her off to emergency surgery because of how much blood she was losing and it wasn't stopping. So they rushed her across the street to the women's hospital there at Sharp. And uh, I was there in the room with literally blood all over the floor, um, the two babies, myself, and luckily my mother-in-law, Marla, came. And she was there with me. and. Uh, just holding the boys and talking to them and really trying to wrap my head around it. They were nice enough there to let me hold on to the boys as long as we wanted before we had to say goodbye. And uh, as much as they tried, it was really hard to be there because they tried to put us in a room kind of to the end, but we're in a room where you're surrounded by other people in other rooms. We had our own private room, but you could hear people just elated with joy and you could hear their babies crying and filling their lungs up with air and breathing and you can hear their potential. You could hear their futures being written as they're in the rooms next to you. And that was so hard to be in that place. You know, you're always happy for life and other people's lives, but you're so sad 
that yours is being erased with these two boys. And uh, that was a tough place to be. Then I didn't know everything that was going on with Abby. I just knew she was losing a lot of blood. Her vitals really crashed and they just had to whisk her away. They said if all goes well, she'll be back in an hour. Um, Freaking an hour came and an hour went and she wasn't back. The boys were uh, not looking like them sleepy boys selves. And so I had to make the hard decision of getting the pictures done without my wife. And then um, luckily Abby came back in and she got to spend a little bit more time with them. But uh, it was definitely at the point where, you know, you want to let them go lay to rest and you want to say goodbye. God, I remember how tough that was. It was like so opposite of every fiber in your being to let people take your baby away forever. And uh, that was such a hard place. When we left the hospital, there was a ton of outreach for the mamas. And uh, she had counseling set up, which was amazing. There wasn't very much for us guys. Um, for any of you boys that have been through this, that was really hard. I think I got a pamphlet about uh, breaking the uh, breaking the stereotypes of getting help and asking for help. Um, but most of it was geared to the mom, you know, and rightly so that there was stuff for the mom. But I definitely think there should be more stuff for the dads. And uh, as we were leaving, I'll never forget there was a family that had just had a baby, and uh, they were elated and um, you know they had extra grocery food and they had heard about our story I'm not sure how or and I and I don't I don't mind that they knew but uh, just a simple gesture of offering their food to us one of the nurses came in and had a brown bag from Ralph's <laughs> and uh, it had a ton of groceries in it and Abby and I hadn't eaten for days just with the stress and everything and the emergency situation that we were in there's like no time to get food we're not even hungry but that was some of the best tasting food that we've ever had <laughs> and uh, just the gesture that somebody in their happiest moment can still reach out to somebody in their lowest moment and offer something so small on maybe their end but on our end it was huge just groceries guys um, and then they gave Abby a bear and uh, Abby got this bear that somebody who lost a baby you know provides now for people who lose babies um, this little stuffed bear which is still with us today is about the same weight as what a baby would be and so that way when you're being wheeled out of the hospital you're holding something that feels like a baby you're just not completely empty-handed, but it's a, it's a stuffed bear. So Abby got wheeled out of the hospital, got home, and uh, another person had donated this box. So there was a, a box that somebody donated for everybody who loses kids, and there's a, this box had butterflies all over it. And um, inside was the hats and the blankets that Jude and Quentin were in and their little socks. So you could at least um, remember them that way and have their scent in that box. And that box was like surrounded by butterflies. I remember seeing this box with butterflies. And Abby and I got home and uh, started 
trying to do life again, right? She was going to take a year off of work, rightly so. She's a school teacher, and just being around kids was going to be extremely, extremely difficult. Um, being in the house where we had so many memories and had a room ready and everything was extremely difficult. So we had to kind of piece it all back together. Counseling was awesome for both of us. Um, she ended up getting a, a fantastic counselor by the name of Robert Mack. If you get a chance, just by happenstance, he's the counselor who is Hollywood's counselor. He's a... Uh, does a lot of the celebrities. Um, he does a show called La La Land, and he's just an amazing, amazing person, and he's extremely genuine. But he really helped Abby get back on track and give her tools that she needed to move forward. Um, I had my own counselor, so my, my counselor was helping me get back on track. And I remember not too many days after we got home from the hospital, we, we uh, walked in the front door of our house, and... Uh, both of our dogs, Ollie and Makai, were staring at this butterfly that somehow flew into the house. This giant monarch butterfly was in our house and was up against the back window and it was fluttering around. And I couldn't believe how big this thing was. It was huge. It was black and gold and a little bit orange, but mostly black and gold. And uh, when the butterfly like laid its wings down on the glass... Uh, I ended up taking a picture of it, and I didn't think much of it. I was just taking a picture because it was so big, and you know, and it was weird that the dogs weren't trying to play with it or go after it because normally that's that's cue for playtime for them. But they sat there like, and like they were just sitting there looking at it like I was, and they weren't even trying to bother it. And it wasn't until afterwards I looked at the picture. And um, I looked at the image on the back of the butterfly, and I basically fell to the floor, and I sat there, and I just stared at it. And my wife did the same. And what it ended up being is when we were back at the hospital, Quentin kept opening his mouth. Every time we'd pass him back and forth, his mouth would fall open, and I would constantly close it. And between all the sobbing, pretty much the only utterly words that I could sputter that were of fatherly advice was, hey son, you gotta close your mouth, okay? Keep your mouth closed. So I would like close his mouth and then I would pass him over to Abby and Abby would hand me Jude and Abby would do the same and close his mouth and keep his mouth closed for a little bit and then he'd, you know, open it again. On the back of this butterfly, it's this undeniable image of an open mouth undeniable and if you guys are in the surfing community you know um, what a twin tail means this butterfly had a twin tail so it had two tails literally two tails identical two tails and to me that was the open mouth from Quentin the tails were the twin boys identical twin tail and on the wingtips there is literally silhouettes on the wingtips of this little figurine that's moving up towards the light. I'll definitely post the picture so you guys know what I'm talking about, but there is two silhouettes moving up to the light on each wing. And to Abby and I, that was a message that the boys are okay. There's more to the life, this life than we know about. And they're trying to let us know that it's okay. Everything's gonna keep, keep moving on. And uh, from right there, 
that was definitely a turning point for both Abby and I. I started seeking a lot of um, mindset, mental help, and tips um, because we all know how powerful the brain is. And uh, I ended up going down this motivational route, listening to motivational speakers. Um, in fact, I implored all that when I went back to work after the twins passed away. Abby was going to be out of work for a year, so I wanted to be, you know, a provider. And in my work, they measure us on sales, um, and they measure how well we do and how bad we do based on the competition. And I had never been, like, the top person in my field before. I've always been in the top 10%, 20%, but to be the top guy was always, like... Um, extremely difficult it's like winning the Super Bowl right but solo sort of um, in that realm I was I had my own territory so um, that year 2017 I implored a lot of this mindset and men mentality that I allude to in the podcasts and I became the number one rep in the nation that year you know part of it was yes I was working harder because I was trying to fill in the gap of not being able to provide and protect when the bad events happened but another part of it was it was healing to feel like I can control what I can control and only think about that and have that positive mindset that anything can be done because I just saw the opposite, that anything can happen. So why not the positive? Anything can happen. And I found this thing that is extremely helpful and I still use it to this day. And you can Google it and check it out. There's actually TED Talks on it. It's called the RAS system, RAS, R-A-S. It stands for the reticular activation system. And basically there's a bundle of nerves in the back of your brain, down by the brain stem, and it's, it's responsible for filtering out information to keep you alert, to keep you focused. It doesn't know what you want. It just, it just, um, it doesn't know what you want. You tell it what you want. So for example, um, with Sonia Looney, I use the red car example. So the red car, you know, for example, if you wanted to buy a red car, all of a sudden you look around, you start seeing red cars everywhere. Or you may have experienced it if you got a new pair of mountain bike shoes. All of a sudden you start noticing other people with the same mountain bike shoes. Or you want a pair of mountain bike shoes, you see everybody else starting to wear those shoes. Like, did they start wearing them because you wanted them? Or did they start showing up because you had it more in your mind? And the correct answer is the latter. You tell the RAS system what you want, and it and it works for you. It's just part of our system, and it's part of survival, and it's part of what we are. And that's why it's so important to set goals, because um, you, you're using your RAS system when you set a goal, and you see it. So you can set a goal by thinking about it, but it really works when you see it more often, because you always have to tell this thing, which is you, um, what you want, right? So... One of the things that I had on my phone, my phone screen, because what I do is in communication, talking to a lot of uh, physicians, I'm always on the phone. I put on my phone a goal on my screen because I'm going to look at that screen probably at 100, 200, 300 times a day. And now with the iPhone and other phones, you have to look at the dang thing to unlock it. So what better place and what better piece of real estate than to put a goal right there? Stick that goal right on your phone. If you're not using it for that, try it. It really helps. And it reminds your reticular activation system what your goal is. So 
I used it that year. I said, I want to be the number one rep in the nation. And I was. And did I do things differently? It wasn't a radical change. It was a lot of little changes that I made. And mainly it was mindset. It was mindset. It was listening more. It was all the things that go around into success. It's consistency. It's um, showing up, being there, being present. It's really listening to what your person needs. What is it that they need? And then listen to what that need is and really feel it and then offer a solution to that need. That's the main and only thing, really. I mean, otherwise you just end up being, in my field, a salesperson and you don't want to be that. You want to be a person of value. You want to be able to use the resources and things that you have as solutions for people with true needs. And so that's what I did that year. I did that, became the number one sales rep in the entire nation. Ended up joining up with, uh, got recruited from the company that I was with. They were going through massive layoffs. Ended up going over to another big company who was building out a specialized sales force and was able to get on board with that team. And again, I used the RAS system. You know, once my company, current company, announced massive layoffs, I started saying, I want to be at a place with the best culture. I want to be at a place where people matter. I want to be at a place where helping patients is number one and sales is number two. And I found it. I found it. And then I even went further down the line because I always loved sports cars. And I said, well, let's see if it works here. So I ended up putting a picture of a Porsche on my phone and said, well, hell, let's see if this works. So I put the Porsche, the color, everything that I wanted. Didn't think about the money part. Just put the color and the Porsche on there. And damned if that didn't work as well. Sitting in the garage is that same car that I put the picture of the Porsche. It's crazy, you guys. It doesn't happen overnight, and it definitely takes a lot of work, and it's not like the secret where you just put it out there and it just comes to you automatically. There's definitely work that you put into it, absolutely. But you have to have the vision, you have to have the goal, and then you have to do the steps it takes to get there. But by telling yourself, this is my goal, and to putting the little steps in place to get to that goal and using your reticular activation system to get there, you'll get there. You'll start seeing that red car everywhere. You'll start seeing those shoes everywhere. And that'll lead you to the next step, which will lead you to the next step, which will lead you to your goal. And then eventually, from what I've learned so far, is these goals are awesome to, to have. And they're great when you get to your goal. But when you get to your goal... You just have another goal. And so the biggest thing that I've learned is enjoy. Enjoy the process. Put a goal out there that's helpful helpful for yourself, humanity, the family, maybe monetary, whatever it is. But enjoy that whole process. And I think that's what's so huge about mountain biking is, yes, you want to get to the bottom of the hill. Yes, you want to get to the top of the hill. But it's such a great reminder that enjoying the process is bigger than actually getting there right if we got to the top of the hill and we just took our bike down an elevator to get to the bottom and go i made it that would actually suck (laughs) and a lot of times i feel like we do that in life we implore a goal we get to the goal and sometimes we find find ourselves unfulfilled that's why it's so important to really enjoy every step of the goal 
good and the bad. But anyways, that's a big rant, you guys. That's a little bit more about me in podcast version. Um, somewhere up here, you and I just went through a thousand miles together from April 2020 till today, December 9th, 2020. A thousand miles had been done on this old stumpy. Um, and I'm loving the sport, and I really appreciate everybody who listens to the podcast and tunes into the YouTube and the IG. I'll continue to try to bring inspirational and motivational things your way, but in an athletic and or mountain bike way. All right, guys, keep that mindset uh, positive, uplifting. Remember, be grateful for the little things. It's not always about the goal, the big things, but more so about the journey to get there. All right, guys, that'll do it. I'm going to turn the sucker off, and I'm going to go down Slaughterhouse right now and do a little celebration run. Thanks again for tuning in. It's been about an hour with you guys. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you're still here, don't forget to subscribe. Give it a like if you liked it. Um, We'll talk to you guys later. Don't forget, always bet on yourself because all that hard work will pay off and enjoy the process. Talk to you guys soon. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening to this podcast. That was my first uphill, raw, talk and pedal. (laughs) I hope you guys like that format. might do a couple more of those uh, depending on what you guys think. But a little bit more about uh, the story here and kind of the reason why I like to see people moving towards their potential because I had two little boys that never got a chance to get there. So always love seeing people living their life and making the best of it. Hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please give it a uh, a review. Maybe a couple stars would be great. Five star would be the best. And if you wouldn't mind sharing it, if there's somebody who you know who maybe has lost somebody or lost even kids, um, feel free to share this podcast if you like. Hope you guys are doing well. And again, special thank you to the sponsors of the show. Huge, huge thank you to the Bole brand. I really appreciate you guys. Bole brand includes um, optics like Serengeti, Bole, and Spy Optic. Also, special thank you to 7IDP for keeping me safe while I'm out on the trails so I can get back safely and uh, try to get these podcasts out to you guys. Thank you again to the sponsors and thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you on the next one. And don't forget, all that hard work will definitely pay off. Talk to you soon.